and welcome to the Nutmeg podcast, where we're discussing the issues that matter to your money and inspiring you to feel financially confident, investment savvy and empowered to reach your goals. I'm Annabelle Williams, personal finance specialist at Nutmeg. And I'm Gary Shepherd, investment writer also here at Nutmeg. And in this episode, we're looking at recessions as concerns mount that the economy will contract in 2022. As the cost of living crisis continues, the economy is beginning to slow and stock markets have been incredibly volatile. What does the prospect of recession mean for your money? If you like what you hear, please like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as ever, do feel free to contact us with anything you'd like us to talk about on a future episode. I'm going to start this conversation with a place that for 30 years was known as the lucky country by economists. I'm talking about Australia, and it's considered lucky not because it's blessed with year-round sunshine, a beautiful coastline and abundant natural resources. Instead, Australia stood out because for 27 years its economy grew year upon year without interruption from a recession, which is a six-month period when the economy shrinks. Yeah, that's right. And and while that doesn't mean everything was rosy for ordinary citizens, on the ground, the lack of an economic downturn meant that for decades, Australians could expect to feel prosperous. The fact is that jobs were being created, new industries were springing up, and people were getting wealthier on average year after year. There are a few reasons for Australia's economic exceptionalism. Its location allows it close trading ties with China and the fast-growing Asian economies, which were dubbed the Asian Tigers. It's got huge reserves of natural resources such as coal, iron ore and gas, which it can export. And culturally, Australia has long been a magnet for young people keen to work and travel down under, which provides employers with a continuous supply of labour and keeps a vast tourism industry going in virtually every corner of the country. Yeah, and during the global financial crisis in 2008, which brought recession to the US, UK, Japan and Europe, Australia was the only advanced economy that managed to avoid a recession. Um, That's partly thanks to its ongoing trade with China, but also careful policy decisions made in Canberra. Psychologically, uh, living in a country that seemed to be an endless boom was hugely powerful. There was a positivity among Australians, a sense that working hard and years spent getting an education would pay off. But that lucky streak was brought to an end by the COVID-19 pandemic. The virus forced economies around the world to shut down and Australia, which uh, given its history, you might have thought would be able to dodge a full-on recession, was not immune. The Aussie economy was already weakened by huge bushfires, which had caused businesses to close and people to stay at home. And in the third quarter of 2020, Australia's gross domestic product, or GDP, fell by 7%. For a country that hadn't known a recession since before the internet arrived in people's homes, it was a shock. A generation of Australians saw for the first time what an economic downturn means – They experienced the job losses, business closures and falling house prices, while newspapers ran photographs of the unemployed queuing outside social security offices. It was a novel sight for Australians. Well, let's talk about the UK, um, where the Bank of England has warned that there may be a recession this year. An economic downturn will not be easier for anyone to go through. Um, But a recession could be especially damaging for millennials and Generation Z, uh, the oldest of whom are aged around about 41, while the youngest are still teenagers. This generation 
already have the troubling distinction of being beginning their adult lives under the shadow of two economic catastrophes, the 2008 financial crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic. Both periods saw jobs lost, companies had recruitment freezes, and there were generally fewer opportunities, which made it hard for them to get their careers going and begin building assets like the generations before them did. Another recession would be the third economic downturn for some of the under 40s, and no doubt one day we will be discussing how this has shaped their finances and attitudes to work. But let's take a moment to look at what a recession actually is. For the UK to officially be in a recession, the data released by the Office for National Statistics, the ONS, has to show that GDP has been negative for two consecutive quarters of the year, which is equivalent to six months. So GDP itself is a calculation that tries to add up all of the goods and services traded, the wages earned and a few other elements of what is making up the economy. Now, controversially, it doesn't include unpaid labour. It only includes work that's done for a wage. Nevertheless, the ONS says that GDP has been falling every month since February. So the economy is definitely slowing. And like most major economies, the ONS is independent from the government. So there's a high degree of trust in the data it produces. I'm bringing this up because that can't be said for all of the world's big economies. China, for example, seems to publish its GDP data far quicker than would be expected for a country with more than a billion people. And its official figures tend to always match what the Communist Party predicts they're going to be. So unsurprisingly, there are doubts about the veracity of those figures. Yeah, that's right, Annabelle. And, and, and with GDP, let's remember the higher the figure, the better, as it means an economy is growing more quickly. Uh, that's how an economists would see it. But in layman terms, how much does it actually really matter whether GDP comes in at 0.2% growth or, or minus 0.1%? Well, the reason that even the smallest of changes in GDP growth matters is because the global economic system is predicated on growth. Every quarter and every year, businesses and national economies need to be growing. When businesses post figures that show their growth is slowing, that raises alarm bells among investors about the company's prospects. On a personal level, though, it can seem less clear-cut why it matters to each of us as individuals whether or not the economy is growing or whether it's growing a tiny bit or if it's falling a little bit. If you keep your job, are able to live within your means and can afford to make plans for the future, then headlines about a slowing economy might seem irrelevant. But when there are big shifts from an economy that's growing to one that's shrinking, the state of the economy has the power to determine how each of us lives our lives. This includes whether people are working or unemployed, if they're in a job that matches their skill level, uh, what foods are on the supermarket shelves, even whether or not the roads outside our home are ridden with potholes. What happened to Japan during the 1990s, for example, is a cautionary tale about why we should all be concerned about a weak economy. For decades, through the 1960s to the late 1980s, the Japanese economy had been steaming ahead of all of its neighbours and the country became world-renowned for technological innovation. I remember from my childhood in the 1980s when the most desirable brands were all Japanese, the likes of Sony, Panasonic and Nintendo... While some of these Japanese global brands are still going strong today, in the 1990s, things changed radically and the economy slowed to a snail's pace. It was a big reversal from the 1980s boom years. 
There was deflation, where prices continually fell, wages shrunk, and the economy dipped into recession, or came close to it, numerous times. The situation in Japan had policymakers and economists wringing their hands in frustration. The 1990s were dubbed the lost decade, before the noughties rolled on and brought another lost decade, and then some analysts believe that another one was lost after that too. It seems the lesson from Japan is that when an economy has lost its mojo, it's very difficult to get it back. So this power that an economy has to shape the outcome of individuals' lives is the reason why politicians spend so much time emphasising their commitment to the economy. Back in the 1990s, an advisor to President Bill Clinton put it bluntly when he said, it's the economy, stupid. Yeah, very famous phrase that. Um, perhaps another way of putting it would be to say a growing economy is absolutely fundamental to the quality of citizens' lives. So for politicians, boosting GDP is often the guiding light for public policy. It even affects government decisions in areas where perhaps you wouldn't expect it. It's among the reasons that governments take on massive infrastructure projects, such as high-speed rail networks that cost billions and take decades to complete. Because if you can get people and goods to move around the country more quickly, that's greasing the wheels of the economy and can help boost GDP. It's also among the reasons that former Prime Minister Tony Blair changed the law around alcohol licensing to allow pubs and clubs to stay open all night if they wanted to. One of the aims was to boost the nighttime economy by getting more people out spending or working into the small hours. After all, if the entire country went to sleep at 10pm, there'd be no economic activity for up to a third of the day. Blair also relaxed the rules around the licensing of strip clubs. He made it easier for them to be opened. That again was partly about boosting the evening economy. I've deliberately mentioned these examples because they're controversial. A lot of people don't want a strip club in their town and many people don't see the benefit of huge investment in new railways that cut the journey time between two cities by a mere 10 minutes. But looking at it purely in terms of the numbers, the spending involved in these endeavours and the jobs created boosts GDP. Ultimately, it's really hard to overstate how important GDP is. If the economy had a god that needed to be worshipped, its name would be GDP. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, it, 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 there has been a movement among economists, academics and others to reduce the focus on GDP as a metric of society's success. Um, perhaps we should be focusing on gross national happiness like the Himalayan nation Bhutan. Or maybe it's not GDP that's the issue, but the existence of recessions. While he was chancellor in the late 1990s and early noughties, Gordon Brown attempted to bring an end to boom and bust in the economy. Remember that? Uh, we all know it didn't quite work out. Uh, eventually, the UK was hit by the global financial crisis, along with the rest of the world, unfortunately. That's why the current situation in the UK is so troubling. A kaleidoscope of factors are causing the economy to slow down, beginning with inflation or price rises, which, of course, listeners of our last podcast will already know are at a 30-year high. We're all feeling the squeeze from soaring energy bills, high prices for food and petrol, and this is happening all over the world, caused in part by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. 
The OECD said that the UK stands out from other nations because on top of inflation and rising interest rates, which a lot of countries are grappling with, taxes have also been going up in the UK. In April, national insurance contributions for employers and workers went up by 10%, council tax bills have increased and student loan repayments have risen for some graduates. Inflation affects the economy because unless salaries rise to keep up with higher prices, people reduce their spending and that hurts businesses. In an attempt to bring inflation down, the Bank of England has been raising its base rate of interest, which makes it more expensive for individuals and businesses to take out loans and spend in the economy and thus deters them from doing so. This all creates a vicious cycle where the economy grinds to a halt. Politicians tend to talk about the economy facing recession as if it affects the whole country equally. But while everyone's morale is low during an economic downturn, the reality is that different industries are affected more badly than others. Different industries are affected in different ways. And because we live in a world where some sectors employ more men and others employ more women, recessions tend to have very different impacts on the genders. So economists called the recession that took place around 2008 in the wake of the global financial crisis, they refer to that as a man session or a he session because it had a disproportionately negative effect on men. Some of the industries that were worst affected included things like construction, which, of course, employ a far higher number of males than females. This changed, though, in 2020, when the COVID-19 virus began its rampage around the world. As governments shut down society and told people to stay home, it tended to be industries dominated by female employees that were worst affected. So some examples are high street retail, hospitality, beauty, spas and yoga studios. They were all badly affected by social distancing rules and in the end, the majority of the people put on furlough were women. That has led economists to dub the COVID-19 era recessions as she-sessions. This isn't about tit-for-tat between the genders. It's about looking at changes in society and predicting what effect that that will have on the economy. We've also got to take into account the fact that there are kind of broader social changes. For example, the move towards people buying more online. That means fewer people are actually stepping into high street stores to purchase things that they normally would. And when big retailers like Debenhams or Arcadia Group collapsed, 20,000 women's jobs were lost. So kind of the shift to online shopping is, is an example of a structural change that is disproportionately affecting women. With that... It's time to introduce today's guest, James McManus, Chief Investment Officer at Nutmeg, who's going to talk us through the outlook for recession today. Uh, welcome, James. Uh, perhaps the best place to start is by asking you, how would you define recession? Well, recession is a term that is used broadly to describe a downturn or a contraction in the economic cycle. And economies, of course, work in a pretty consistent cycle from initial expansion through to peak economic growth, after which we see a contraction in economic growth and potentially a recession before a recovery and then, of course, the expansion beginning again. And those cycles can differ in length dependent on the environment and the type of contraction that's faced. Sometimes contractions can be deeper and longer depending on the cause of the slowdown in growth. 
Okay, well, um, this is uh, not from Wikipedia, of course, but uh, in 1974, um, the Commissioner of the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, Julius Shiskin, suggested in a New York Times article uh, that recession should be defined as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Um, this was taken as a rule of thumb definition going forward. Um, James, is this still the case today? Well, yeah, broadly, that, that's right. This is how we measure recession in the UK. It's measured by the sort of seasonally adjusted quarter-on-quarter quarter figures for uh, after inflation or real GDP growth. Um, in the US, actually, it's slightly different. The Business Cycle Dating Committee, that's a, a department of the National Bureau of Economic Research, they define an economic recession much more broadly and holistically. That's as a significant decline in economic activity spread across the economy and lasting more than a few months, normally visible in real GDP, real income, employment, industrial production, and wholesale retail sales. Um, similarly, in the EU, they also measure things differently. Instead, they're using a different range of criteria, uh, factors such as the employment rate and the depth of decline in economic activity. So today, where do we stand in terms of the potential for a recession? Well, whenever central banks begin to raise interest rates to cool an economy, this sparks fears of a recession. And that's because policymakers have a difficult but not impossible job to introduce a drag on growth sufficient to bring prices down, but without disrupting economic growth and inducing higher unemployment. In essence, this is a difficult balancing act. Of course, we should expect some slowing in activity because that's what the central banks are inducing through those interest rate rises. But central banks have to tread a narrow path here to orchestrate a so-called soft landing where prices are lowered without damaging economic growth. Uh, James, they say when America sneezes, the world catches a cold. So will there be a recession in the US this year? Well, an economic growth recession in the US is not a base case expectation for us this year. But clearly, when we next encounter a recession will depend on the path of inflation, uh, importantly, the path of energy prices, and then also whether central banks can get this balance right in terms of cooling the economy. Now, it's worth saying a recession is inevitable at some stage. That's a natural part of the business cycle. And it's worth acknowledging also that central banks have not always been successful in avoiding inducing recessions when they raise interest rates. That said, the starting point today is different. And the, in fact, it's different every time around. Um, today, we start with company and consumer balance sheets that are much more robust than in prior cycles. You know, for example, there are little signs of uh, excessive leverage, very unlike 2008 in, in that regard. And in aggregate, actually, US household balance sheets are today in better shape than they were pre-COVID. And consumer spending has thus far held up, supported by the drawdown of excess savings that have been built up during that pandemic period. So if the economy were to tip into recession, uh, potentially in, in 2023, the current conditions favour a shallow dip into negative growth. And what are economists saying about the likelihood of recession this year? Well, economists are split as to whether we'll enter a, a global recession, given the inflationary pressures, the cost of living crisis, uh, post-COVID recovery, and of, of course, the war in Ukraine. Um, the US economy actually did contract by 1.5% in the first quarter of 2022, but that was largely a factor of reduced government defence spending and, and the net trade figure being impacted by a surge in imports as businesses rebuilt inventories. In fact, despite the negative overall growth, the, the strength of consumption in that first quarter GDP figures were largely seen as a positive dynamic. So we think it's unlikely in 2022, despite recent inflation surprises.
America being the world's largest economy clearly has a huge impact on all sorts of things. But can we turn now to the UK? What are your thoughts about the prospects for Britain? Well, the UK economy contracted by 0.3% in April, according to official figures. And whilst that's just one month's worth of data, of course, the storm clouds do appear to be gathering for the UK economy. And I think it's fair to say that the UK economy looks a little bit more vulnerable to recession than, for example, the United States. Um, That's actually despite some very similar characteristics in terms of relatively robust household balance sheets and a relatively strong labour market. And of course, the stock of savings uh, that's been built up through the pandemic period. Uh, But it does remain a finer balancing act for the Bank of England to maintain economic growth uh, at the same time as bringing prices back down. So, James, I mean, a global recession is clearly a bad thing for everyone. But um, I mean, over the longer term, is is there any is there any silver lining from the way these economic cycles occur? Well, recession is always horrible for those that risk losing their jobs or for or businesses that, that, that risk going under. And, and the cost of living crisis that we're seeing at the moment will make things extra difficult if recession does become a reality. However, recession is the economy self-correcting itself. And, and history has shown us that actually that will lower inflation, remove economic imbalances, and all of that can pave the way for future economic growth and, of course, investment opportunities. Um, from an investment perspective, we, of, of course, are aware that clients have seen losses in in 2022 and markets will likely remain volatile for the remainder of the year. But while past performance is not a guarantee of future performance, the data does show us that the probability of positive returns goes up the longer you invest and that includes through times of recession. Interesting points. Thanks for joining us, James. Absolutely. Great to be here. Lots to discuss, but we'll have to leave it there. Thank you to all of our listeners. And if you like what you hear, please do share and subscribe. And feel free to contact us via the Nutmeg social media channels with any ideas or themes that you'd like us to talk about on a future episode. Until next time, thanks for listening. As with all investing, your capital is at risk and the value of your portfolio with Nutmeg can go down as well as up and you may get back less than you invested. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance and the topics discussed on this podcast are intended for informational purposes and should not be relied on for financial advice.